0: Good morning, Redeemer. My name's Max Stiles, and I have the great joy and privilege of being your elder here. What a wonderful thing to gather together, and what a great privilege it is for me to speak from God's Word to you this morning. Uh, I I just want to mark this as just an incredible time, that here we are in the heart of Dubai proclaiming Jesus Christ as Savior Lord and hope of the world. Did you see Tiger Woods in the news this week? Hard to miss it, wasn't it? (laughs) But there's not much news about Tiger playing golf. It's all about his moral downfall and the quest, really, for public and private redemption. Responses are mixed to his public confession. On the one hand, he's been the butt of jokes at late-night TV and billboards in Florida and all over the world, really, i I suppose there's a lot of cynics out there who recognize that, of course, he has a billion dollar uh, empire to protect. On the other hand, there are people who appreciate and are even amazed over this very private man making such an embarrassing confession in such a public way. I can't imagine the pressure that Tiger Woods is under, the glare, the publicity, The pressure, the expectation that he will never sin again or never again live in hypocrisy. He himself even commented that he had much to atone for. And it's true. He has much for which to atone for. Interesting word choice, isn't it? That he would pick atone. It's kind of a Religious word. It means to pay back for some wrong we've done. To atone for sin is to pay for our sins. Have you ever ever felt the need to atone for sin in your life? To pay for sin in your life? If you haven't, you're a better man or woman than me. I've longed at times to atone for my sin. There's a longing inside me for atonement. Did you hear about this service that some um, German... Uh, secular German people put together in Berlin where they, they called people to send in postcards of confession. They were secular, this wasn't a religious thing, they just thought it would be done on a whim, a whimsy. And uh, they put an ad in the paper and asked people to send in their confessions. They thought it would be funny. And uh, in some ways it was. Boxloads and boxloads of postcards began arriving at their door with confessions like the one from a Starbucks employee who confessed, when people are rude to me, I serve them decaf. <laughs> <laughs> Others were more serious. He's been in jail for something I did four years ago. There's something in all of us that wants to atone. And where does that desire come from? Well, I think it's built into us by God. It's no wonder that almost all religions require some kind of sacrifice, some kind of atonement to be made. Most are self-denying behaviors, harsh treatment of the body, rules, regulations, acts of self-denial. It can come in different forms. For the Buddhist, it's to deny All passion and pleasure—that's Tiger Woods' faith background. Sacrifice to and care of idols in Hinduism. To atone for sin in Islam and Judaism is to keep the law and to perform proper duties before God. In Christianity, it's a different system. Now, to be sure, sacrifice is required, but the sacrifice is provided by God Himself. God provides the sacrifice. God atones for our sin. And that's because the Christian believes you can never do anything good enough to pay God back for your sin. You can never attain righteousness in and of your own power. It's only through the work of God that that can come. And so the Christian says that our sin is so great and that our God is so magnificently holy, there's no way we can atone for sin through simple works. To make matters worse, of course, Jesus tells us that it's not just who you are on the outside, but who you are deep, deep down in your heart. So that when He speaks to us in Matthew 5, uh, verse 23, He says, Even if you look on a man's wife, another man's wife, with lust in your heart, you've committed adultery. Even if you are angry with someone, you have committed murder in your heart, deep in your heart. And no matter where you go, and no matter how you look on the outside, that's who we are when we look at ourselves deep, deep down inside. That's who we are before a holy God. You see, we're not that different than Tiger Woods. We're not. That's why we believe that the provision of God through Jesus is good news in a heap of whole, whole bunches of bad news. Our brokenness and our sin, and better yet, He provides. The sacrifice, but I'm getting ahead of my story because our story starts a long, long time before that. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 22. I want to look this morning at a, at a well known story with a little known point Genesis in 22, Abraham and the sacrifice of Isaac, which Brian read for us so beautifully. Abraham, of course, is one of the greatest religious figures of all time, revered by Muslims and Jews and Christians. Some of the most important passages of Scripture, some of the most seminal and important foundational passages of Scripture happen in the context of Abraham and his life. In fact, if there is an Old Testament verse for you to underline in your Bible, if you underline in your Bible, the verse to underline is Genesis 15, verse 6. Where, where Abraham is given a promise by God. The same promise, really, that we see in chapter 22. In chapter 15, he's given a promise by God. And Abraham believes God. And the Lord said it was credited to him as righteous. As righteous. If Genesis 15 is about faith, Genesis 22, the passage this morning, is about faith in action. We're going to walk through this. Notice in verse 1, right off, this amazing connection, this amazing spiritual relationship between Abraham and God. He hears God in verse 1. God speaks to him of a test. It's not a temptation. A temptation is a call to a sinful part of you to do something wrong for selfish gain. That's not what this is. This is a test. God tests our faith all the time to refine and purify. But what a costly test. Take your son, your only son, the son you love, and sacrifice him in verse 2. Now perhaps the the request from God is not as shocking to Abraham as it would be to us. Abraham lived during the days of child sacrifice. pagan, Pagan gods, fertility gods, constantly required the sacrifice of Abraham uh, uh, and, and he knew that in the land of Ur but he had left that he was a God follower but it maybe was not something that was unusual to his ears and, and we have to say we have to confess that even today the God of materialism often calls those of us in selfish societies to sacrifice our children as well maybe not like this but it's just as true today as it was then. But the request of Abraham was even more costly. Abraham, you're, you're to sacrifice the son of a promise. Born to you in your old age, when your wife was 90 years old, after prayer, after prayer, after prayer, for a child to inherit. You know, I can only dimly imagine the feelings of Abraham. What about you? I have an Isaac. I have an Isaac. He's my thirdborn, my third son. I have three sons. Isaac's my youngest. And he's a joy to me. His name means laughter, and it's been true in our lives. He's excelled in sports and academics. We're working on calculus a little bit. And the fine arts. He's a follower of Jesus. Many of you saw him baptized a number of weeks ago. He honors his father and mother at home. He's not perfect, of course. He's had his had his moments. Like when he spilled his coke on my laptop. Actually, for a brief moment, thought about Genesis 22. You know. But the computer is a computer. It works to this day. Uh, K and A are a little sticky. But really, my anger at the time. Was just my sinful commitment to materialism, too. It was just an accident. I, Isaac didn't mean it. Abraham's Isaac, on the other hand, represented everything to Abraham everything. All his hopes, all his dreams, all his aspirations. But notice Abraham does not hesitate to obey. He gets up the next morning, very early in verse 3. He prepares the sacrifice by gathering wood. He sets out on a three-day journey in verse 4 to obey God's command. And remember, this is a man who's never been to church. He's never sung a hymn. He's never been mentored by an older Christian. This is a man who's never sung a hymn. He's never been exalted by anything on TV. This is astounding faith. The second thing to notice besides the faith of Abraham is also the images of Jesus. Do you see them here? These images of Christ? The foreshadowing of the things to come in Christ. The Father is leading Isaac up the hill. The Father is leading the Son up a hill to a place that God has showed him. Now, this is the same hill where Solomon would in the future build his temple and is very close In fact, some would say it is the site where God led Abraham is the site of the crucifixion. Notice the father places the wood on the back of his son in verse 6. A hint of that day when a cross of wood would be placed on the back of Jesus. They carry the instruments of sacrifice together. The son asks the father a question in verse 7. Father, Where's the Lamb? So similar to the question Jesus asked God the Father in the Garden of Gethsemane. Is there not another way? The Father binds the Son. He places Him on the wood, on the altar. The place of sacrifice. And in verse 10, raises the knife. Don't you hear the echoes of John 3.16? For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. There's no hesitation in Abraham. So when the, when the angel calls to Abraham in verse 11, it's as if the angel understands how resolute Abraham is. Abraham, Abraham, do not harm the boy. Don't touch him. Don't harm him. Do not hurt him. The writer in the book of Hebrews in the New Testament tells us that Abraham so trusted God, so understood God's faithfulness, that he believed that God would raise Isaac from the dead. Hebrews 11 uh, verse 9. Abraham passes the test. What God commands and commends is that he fears God. Abraham fears God. That means... That for Abraham, God is Lord over his life in all things. Over his family, over the inheritance, over his prosperity, over his work, over all pleasure, over all things. Who in this room could ever demonstrate such faith? Is it any wonder that Abraham is called the friend of God? That Abraham has actually entered into a little piece, a little touch, a little taste of what it will mean for God one day to actually not stop the knife, to not stop the sacrifice. That kind of identification that Abraham had with God meant that God called him his friend. He gave Abraham this picture, this image of what one day God would actually walk through. Now, before Christ, people understood that this was an important passage. They saw Genesis 22 as extremely important. They knew it was there, but they couldn't quite work it out. They couldn't quite figure out what it meant. They saw these images of Jesus here. But what did it mean? Peter would later tell us in his book in the New Testament that the ancients longed to see these images in their day, but they, they couldn't because they're for us. 1 Peter 1, 10-11 I had a conversation with a British gentleman um, this past Tuesday. I invited him to come to Redeemer. I hope you're inviting your friends to come to Redeemer as well. And I said, I'd like you to come. And he said, well, you know, I'm not much of a, a churchman. And I said, I know, but uh, I, I'm speaking, and I'd like you to hear me. He said, well, maybe I will, since you're speaking. And I said, uh, you know, he said, w- w- what's, what's the sermon about, being polite? I said, well, actually, it's on Abraham's sacrifice of Isaac, And uh, he says, oh, sounds a little esoteric for me. If he he had been an American, he's a gentleman, but if he had been an American, he would have said, so what's that got to do with me? (laughs) He was being polite. He's a gentleman. What does it have to do with us? With the real world that we live in? I think it's a fair question. Let me read to you from... um, A book called Christless Christianity by Michael Horton uh, about a TV, actually a TV script from ER. Perhaps you've seen it. Lying in his hospital bed while he is dying from cancer, a retired police officer confesses to a chaplain his long held guilt over allowing an innocent man to be framed and executed. He asks, how can I even hope for forgiveness? And the chaplain replies, I think that sometimes it's easier to feel guilty than forgiven. Which means what, he said? Well, that maybe your guilt over his death has become your reason for living. Maybe you need a new reason to go on. I don't want to go on, says the dying man. Can't you see I'm dying The only thing that's holding me back is that I'm afraid. I'm afraid of what comes next. What do you think that is? The chaplain gently inquires. Growing impatient, the man answers, You tell me! Is atonement possible? What does God want from me? After the chaplain replies, I think it's up to each one of you to interpret for ourselves what God wants. The man stares at her in bewilderment. So people can do anything? They can rape? They can murder? They can steal? All in the name of God? And it's okay? Growing intense, the dialogue draws to its climax. No, I'm not saying that, the chaplain responds. Then what are you saying? Because all I'm hearing is some new age, God is love, have it your way crap. No, I don't have time for this now. You don't understand, the chaplain counters. No, you don't understand. I want a real chaplain who believes in a real God and real hell. Missing the point of the man's struggle, the chaplain col- collects herself and says, in the familiar tone of condescension disguised as understanding, I hear that you are frustrated, but you need to ask yourself, No! No! The man interrupts. I don't need to ask myself anything. I need answers. And all your questions and all your uncertainty are only making things worse. With no more to evaluate than his tone, she encourages calm. I know you're upset, she begins, provoking his final answer of frustration. God, I need someone who will look me in the eye and tell me how to find forgiveness. Because I'm running out of time. We're running out of time. Listen, every one of us, every one of us are going to be there. We're all running out of time. We need real answers. And Genesis 22 points us to the real answers of God. Let me tell you a way most people would preach this passage, this passage in the book of Genesis. Genesis. Maybe even this chaplain represented here. They say that Abraham is a man of faith. A good example for all people of all faiths. He was willing to sacrifice that which is most dear to him. And we should too. You and I should be willing to be people of faith and willing to sacrifice to be people of faith. And that's not that bad. I mean, right? We want to be people of faith. We want to have more faith. We want to do what God would call us to do. But it's not the point of the passage. In fact, it doesn't have anything to do with the passage. The story isn't done when the angel calls to Abraham to stay the knife. There's more. Abraham looks up. He sees a ram caught in the thicket in verse 13. And so this ram was sacrificed instead of his son. Even even the ancients, even the ancients got that this was important. Did you see in the Gulf News just this week? I, I, it's an astounding story about the ancient Sumerian city waits to be discovered. It's the city of Ur where Abraham was from. And in the article, just tucked in here, there's this little note. And one of the things they've discovered in the city of war is a little gold statue of a ram whose horns are caught in a thicket. Even the ancients understood. They understood how important this passage was. It's not about Abraham's faith. It's about this this substitute. This ram is central to the story So while most people look at this passage and they place themselves in the place of Abraham, right? They think, well, I'm Abraham, and and what would God call me to do to be a person more of faith? They don't get it at all. We're not Abraham. Believe me, I'm not Abraham. I don't think you are either. We're Isaac. We're bound in sin. There is no hope for us. We are on the altar of God under His just wrath and condemnation. We're Isaac. We need help. We need a substitute. Everyone got this. Everyone understood this. So that this image of Jesus, the most important image of Jesus in Genesis 22, points to that day, one day, when Jesus would appear. And John the Baptist, the prophet of God who was to announce the Messiah, saw him and said, Behold, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And everyone who heard him understood what he meant. That they thought back 2,500 years before to that place on some hill that God showed Abraham where the knife was raised, and yet a lamb came miraculously as a substitute. Don't miss this. God in Genesis 22 is talking about God's rescue plan. It's foreshadowed here in Genesis 22. And it points to thousands of years in the future to the offering that Jesus would make on the cross. Right here in Genesis, we see how God has started the plan to redeem the world to himself through the sacrifice of Jesus. Jesus. So you must see, you must see that this passage is not some morality play about having more faith. It's not some morality play about your obedience. Although, it's okay. I mean, it's okay. It's true. But if that's the main point for you, you end up being a moralist, not forgiven. And we need forgiveness. That's what we need. We need forgiveness. Atonement. That's why Christians call the death of Jesus substitutionary atonement. It's a big word, big collection of syllables. Substitutionary atonement. Genesis 22 is the gospel story thousands of years before it happens. You know what I mean when I say gospel, right? When I say that word, the gospel message... The gospel is the message of God which leads us into salvation. It leads us back to God. How a holy and loving God sent His perfect Son to become the perfect sacrifice so that our sins could be placed on Him and His righteousness placed in us. That's the good news that God has provided The sacrifice. It's not up to you. He has become the Lamb of God, which took away the sins of the world. That's the gospel. The path back to God. The path of atonement. And that's the blessing that's spoken of here in verse 18. That it's going to be for the whole world. It's not just that Abraham gets lots of descendants, although that's wonderful. The promise to Abraham is the prophecy about the gospel. So that it comes to us today, through Abraham, then through Christ, and to you, and to me, and to Tiger Woods, and the whole world. The whole world. The redemption of the world by the atonement of God for the sins of the world. For all who would turn and trust in Christ. That's why God is our provider. And what's left for us is simply to come to God by turning from sin and putting your complete faith and trust in the one who has atoned for your sin. I may never meet Tiger Woods, but I hope someone who knows Jesus will tell him that the atonement has been made. And we enter into that forgiveness through faith. It's amazing God predicted that this would be for the whole world in verse 18 because it's happening today, right now. I may never meet Tiger Woods, but I've met you. And let me say, it's not an accident that the ram was caught in that thicket. It was not an accident that Jesus was crucified on Golgotha, the very spot where Abraham sacrificed uh, uh, that ram. It's not an accident that you're sitting here today. God has promised blessing if you will only come to Him through the sacrifice of Christ His Son. You should know that we will be called to account for how we deal with this gospel. This good news. The offer of redemption does not come to us cheap. It comes to us through the death of God's own Son. His only Son. The Son He loves. And I would beg you, therefore, to turn to Him, receive His love and forgiveness, this offer of forgiveness of sins, and enter into a love relationship with the living God. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for us. Lord God, we, we recognize that all of us long for atonement and in our quiet moments when, when we find them. We sometimes find this same longing for atonement. And like the man on his deathbed with cancer, we want someone to tell us what to do. Where do we find forgiveness? Oh, Father God, we thank you that you have provided. That you are the one that has made the sacrifice for us. And so, Father God, we pray that this would mark our whole lives. In Jesus' name, amen.